Maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. OU Insider Under the Visor post-game podcast. My name is Brandon Drum, lead team recruiting analyst for OUinsider.com with my colleague and just our utility analyst that does it all, Parker Thune. Rat poison. Uh, Rat poison. Rat poison. That's that's a fair start. I think you guys are going to get a little bit of no holes bars reaction from Parker and I now that we you know we're we're recording this a good two and a half hours after the game we've had time to marinate on this thing think about some things look over some of the stats and I have to tell you that stats are deceiving because yes they are in a twofold way and let me let me let me throw this out here to you you like you you were talking about it off air. Rattler was thirty for thirty nine for three hundred and what eleven yards or something like that. Three hundred four yards and a touchdown. If you look at that stat line and you didn't watch the game, you're thinking, oh, he exactly. Had a nice day. But on the flip side, you have the defense that looks like Tulane just went all over him. Right. Well, fourteen of Tulane's thirty five points were off Rattler turnovers. Number one put the defense in a awful situation with momentum at their back inside their own territory. Just, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good deal to begin with number two. And I'm not making an excuse for them scoring 35 points people. So, cause we're going to, we're going to get after the defense a little bit here, but I do want to say that when the defense was on, which was a vast majority of the game, cause midway through the third quarter, they didn't even have 200 total yards. Do you know that? Midway through the third quarter, Tulane does not have 200 total yards. And then the fourth quarter happened. And it was nasty. And it was like nothing Oklahoma could do defensively or offensively was going to work. And Oklahoma plays like this against anybody else. Probably going to lose. Outside of maybe Western Carolina and a couple other teams. But... I will say that if they were playing anybody else, I don't think they play this way. Now, I don't know, Parker, you tell me what's your overall thought on this game. I'll give you my overall thought on the game. I just wanted to throw that out there as like a first starter. OU opens up against anybody else outside of maybe Western Carolina or Tulane. Do they play this lap lax or do you think they're focused? Cause I mean, I, I prefer the, the Alabama approach where you get a top 15, top 25 team to start the season. That way you have to lock in going into the season. You can't just be revved up because the season's starting. That's, that's all well and great. But when you get out there, the, the crowd's flat, there's nothing going on because the game wasn't supposed to be in Norman to begin with. Everything's off on everything they've been preparing for, for months. And bam, Tulane has nothing to lose. They're going to be high playing. OU no matter where they play them, they can play them in the backyard and they're going to be hyped. Oklahoma playing two lanes, a whole other story excuse or not. And let's, let's, let's establish this first, right off the bat. Tulane deserves a ton of credit for what happens today because there is no team 
in college football that will endure as much adversity as Tulane has over the past week. And to come out, to come to Norman on short notice, walk out of that locker room and give the number two team in the country all they could handle is remarkable. And that's a huge credit and a testament to Willie Fritz and his staff and what they were able to do and how they were able to adjust over a course of a week where so much about their day-to-day operation was in limbo by -hmm. virtue of Hurricane Ida. And so, yes, we're going to talk extensively about Oklahoma's shortcomings in this game, but the very first thing I want to acknowledge is that Tulane played one hell of a football game. Absolutely. Hey, let me throw another thing out there. Michael Pratt is one tough SOB. Warrior. Oh, my gosh. Hey, if anybody wants to ask how good they'll use defensive line is, ask Michael Pratt. <laughs> I tell you what, dude. that man, that man stood up after just about getting decapitated by Key Lawrence on a clean but brutal hit. Mm-hmm. Takes one playoff, gets right back in the game, and literally over the next quarter and a half, pushes his team to the cusp of one of the biggest upsets in a season opener that we would have seen in a decade, maybe longer. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, let, let me, before we get off on this tangent of this, that, or the other, how much of this game did it remind you of the army game in 2018? You know what it reminded me of Brandon? And first off, I, you know what? This is probably an opportune time to go into the spiel. I take responsibility for all of this because back in 2019, Brandon, back in 2019, I was down on the field for Oklahoma, Iowa state and OU led 42 to 21 going into the fourth quarter. As you mm, that's a good, it's a good analogy. I, yeah. And, good one. Mm-hmm. and I switched end zones. I moved from the South end zone to the North oh. end zone. And then obviously the cyclones put together that furious rally had the what, two point. What the hell are you doing, the, man? Benito batted away. And then today, Brandon, today, the Sooners were up 34, 37, 14 at halftime. I switched end zones for the sake of the camera angles and literally was in the exact spot two years earlier where I had watched Nick Benito and Parnell Motley bat away that two point conversion to preserve the victory over Iowa state. You and I were standing next to each other when that happened. Actually, I do remember that. I think, yeah, I think you and Colin were right there. Yeah. And Tulane comes roaring back and all the while I'm thinking, huh, this seems familiar. (laughs) (laughs) But that's literally like, it was almost a carbon copy of that situation. Because that game seemed well in hand, just like this Tulane game did. There was absolutely no reason to question the fact that the Sooners were just going to take care of business. They probably weren't going to run up the score. You wouldn't see them hang 60 or 70 on the board, but they were going to take care of business over the last 15 to 20 minutes of game time, and they were going to walk out of there with a victory. And in both cases, that did not happen. So you you, you bring up a point here I want to touch on, and this, again... I think it's something fans and I think probably we need to think about, you know, probably need to think about what Riley said when he first got up in the post game and he talked about thanking Tulane for coming out here, the adversity they went through, just like you did, Parker. Um, But how much of the fact that OU wasn't going to try to throw 60 on them they came in with the mindset of, hey, we want to win, but everything that they're going through, we don't want to blow them out. And how much of that do you think cost Oklahoma during this game that they just kind of got up and went, you know what? We're not going to throttle them. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to win, but we don't want to make them feel like they just wasted their time coming up and taking a beating just to take one. Well, here's the thing. In as much as we want to write this off, no, I do. And in as much as we want to write this off as a one-off, you know, sure. Okay. Maybe they didn't want to run up the score on a team that just got displaced because of a hurricane. So maybe they were trying to play nice a little bit. We also have to acknowledge the inability to play at the same intensity for 60 minutes and let the foot off the gas in the second half has become a chronic issue for Oklahoma. And it's not going away. It has not gone gone away. This is now year five 
under Lincoln Riley. And we're still having the same conversation. And what is it going to take? What, what is the issue? It, it can't It's the same at one point, And I hate saying this because I don't like pointing fingers. You know, I, football is a collective competition. You're, 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 you're going at a team angle. It's never, you know, just one person doing this or that. Like Tom Brady doesn't win without Gronkowski or the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense or having Mike Evans or I'm trying to think of who else is on that team uh, off the top of my head, but uh, Marquise Goodwin. I mean, you, you got to have those type of players to win a title, right? Like you can't do it by yourself. So it's a, it's a team effort. Even the coaches, I mean, up to the coaches, it's a team effort from the coaches, from the AD, from the administration, down to the players, down to the water boy. It doesn't matter who it is. They all play a part in this. So at what point do we actually point a finger and say, what are you doing, bro? To Lincoln. I mean, honestly, I'm asking because this, this is an issue. It is an issue. It's a major issue because, and it's always early in the season. You never see this out of an Oklahoma team in October or uh, excuse me, late October, late October or November. It's always yeah, Riley's never lost in November. It's always September to like October 15th that you see at least one or two of these games where it's like, what the hell is going on? with this team. But then once once they get to November or late October in December, they can't be beat and they play a completely different game. It's almost like they hype up this championship November crap. They just need to say championship season, championship fall, period, and go on with that same intensity. I mean, you got Nick Benito tweeting out to the fans, keep that same energy. Like it's a fan's fault that they're questioning the heart and their play because they gave up a 23 point lead to Tulane. It's not the fan's fault. It's not, it's the leader. Hey, and I love Nick, but he's a leader on the team, right? That's part of his job to make sure that they stay focused as a collective unit and not have these lapses that they've had every damn year. For the last, like you said, five years. And this is just this goes back to Stoops too. Bob Stoops teams did the same thing. Is it a program thing? <laughs> it's so hard to it's so hard to quantify. Like you're like you're like, you're like what exactly? <laughs> no, like I'm legitimately trying to figure out what the common denominator here is because. Can you write it off as a program thing? Can you really say it's a program thing? Because I don't know. I just, I'm trying to make this make logical sense. And that's the biggest thing right now. It doesn't make logical sense. It does not make logical sense that any of what just happened happened, including the fact that the Sooners ended up winning that game. Because let's be honest, <laughs> with that much momentum in Tulane's favor and the way that things transpired over the course of the final 10 minutes of that game, Oklahoma had no business winning. They didn't, but they that shows you just how dominant that defense can be when they focus. That's the issue. When they, fo I mean, you saw it from second quarter all the way, the midway through the first quarter, all the way through to halftime. You saw how dominant they could be. Tulane was getting stuffed or turning the ball over every time they had the ball. And that poor quarterback, Michael Pratt was running for his life. The whole game, I mean, he was running for his life even when they weren't playing well. The problem is, is that the defensive line, I think, played with their heart the whole time. And so I, I, I guess Nick Benito, he has a right to say keep that same energy because he probably feels like him and his group did their job because I probably would agree with him. They, did, they, yes. they, they struggled to run the ball. And here's what I do want to say. It goes back to what you were saying about how Oklahoma probably wouldn't have played this way against any other opponent or any, any other circumstance, because we also have to consider the fact that it was a hundred degrees outside. Yeah. Right. I have, I have a very distinct mask sunburn line right now on my face. <laughs> it was hot down there. Okay. And we have to keep in mind that that's probably 
the most oppressive heat that the Sooners are going to face on a football field all year. And that takes a physical toll on players, particularly defensive players. And that's why you saw Alex Grinch rotating personnel as much as he did. And he likes to rotate guys, but it was always on a, or it was almost on a snap by snap basis. He was getting guys in and out of the game today. So I do want to say, I think the heat probably had something to do with it. And then you saw on that final drive when Tulane had the ball and was trying to build a drive, get down the field, potentially take the lead. Alex Grinch said, screw it. And he put his best 11 guys on the field. And those 11 guys did not yield a yard. And so when Oklahoma has their best 11 guys on the field, I think this defense is still really, really good. I think the issues today for that defense were one, they're very young. When you'd start talking about the second and third levels of that depth chart. And so you saw a lot of very inexperienced guys taking reps today, taking meaningful reps in meaningful situations. And we got to go back to the fact that Spencer Rattler put them in some pretty unenviable situations. And oh, that, yeah, Rattler. I guess we're about to get into that. Well, you brought him up, man. <laughs> you opened those well, can of worms up. <laughs> ugh. Oh man! I probably wouldn't have gone there if you wouldn't have said Spencer Rattler put him in. In would you say in? But no, I mean like what was the word that you shoot, used? Unenviable situation. Unenviable situation. But I mean, shoot. Let's no, have this. Good, con- let's have word, this conversation actually. because yeah. Homie is the Heisman Trophy front runner, and he was off his game today. And unfortunately, and he missed some guys. He missed some guys badly. There. Yeah, he missed some guys badly, but he also those two interceptions. Both of them were very bad throws. The completion to Marvin Mims that ended up going for 50 whatever yards, you can argue that should have been picked off too. And the third interception that he threw that was negated by a pass interference call, very, very questionable. And that might have been the worst throw of any of them. That throw if, was bad. I mean, and it looked that was Hazelwood he was throwing to as well, right? Or who was it? Was it no? It was it was, it was, was it Hazelwood or Dart? It was, it was Hazelwood. Hazelwood. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Okay, well, okay. Let's get in this Rattler thing, man. I'm gonna have to watch what I say here. Um, okay, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. Look, he's a really good quarterback. I don't want to take anything away from him. He's shown that he can be a really good quarterback. I think homeboy has been worrying about NIL more than he has anything else right now. Like straight up. I'm going to oh, here we go straight up. I mean, he's out there son and he, and he should, he deserves it. I mean, he deserves the money, but I think there's a time and a place to be doing this. I think when you get a break, you shouldn't be out in Chicago going and signing hundreds and thousands of autographs and taking photos and stuff like that during fall camp or right before fall camp starts, you know, like I think your focus should have been fall camp or an resting before you get to fall camp because you've been doing uh, summer workouts the whole time. I think during the summer workouts, when they give you your weekend break is probably when you probably should have done that. Now, granted, you know, the timing of the NIL wasn't ideal for when they started it, you know? So a lot of people didn't have a lot of things set in place that maybe they would have if had it started in May or April. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I just feel like the focus wasn't there and it looked like, and, and, and the problem is, is he's a good quarterback. And then when you have a guy like Caleb Williams backing you up, and you know what he is and what we've all heard he is during the fall camps. We've seen Riley pull Rattler already. At what point do you do that? And that's exactly, that's exactly the question I'm wondering, Brandon, because look, I will continue to stand atop this hill that I've been perched on for the past year and a half. Say Spencer Rattler is the second best quarterback in that room. And granted, Right now, he's the one with more experience. He's probably, you would assume, the one that knows the offense better. Mm-hmm. And for all his struggles early in the year last year, he put together a really productive season Absolutely. as a redshirt freshman. 
And he looked really, really good at times. And he made some throws that were straight up special. Now, but like you said, <laughs> what is it going to take? Because you know that the guy who got one snap today and turned it into a touchdown, the guy sitting at number two on that depth chart, the guy holding the clipboard on the sideline is every bit as good as you, if not better. I think he's better. And He's probably like, we know for a fact, he's a guy that's not going to put the ball in harm's way the way Spencer Rattler did today. No, he'll run. <laughs> he'll run. And that, that's the difference. I think is he has the ability to run and he's going to be hard to bring down because of how big he is. I mean, Caleb Williams is built like Jalen hurts as a freshman senior Jalen hurts. He got the freshman. Blake bell treatment today. Yeah, he did. I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, the dude weighs 220-something pounds. Yep. Um, but so I guess now I do want to throw this out because as much as we dog, you know, we're, we're hating on the performance of Spencer, and but it wasn't great. It was bad. I mean, stat line says it was good, or I say it wasn't great. <laughs> so I mean it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't appealing appeasing to the eye, I guess, if you will. Um but he did have like a couple of throws that I thought you know the the back shoulder throw to Mario Williams was very nice. Uh Mario dropped it. Now it was low, but it where he threw it where it needed to be for him to be able to make that play because of how the defense was playing it. And Mario dropped it. He dropped it. Period. I mean, there's no. I mean, that that's your. That's the second second touchdown. Now, granted, they did score on it later on. Uh, I just the the other issue I have is, and I don't think they did Spencer any justice with how they called the running plays to start the game. And hear me out on this. Midway through the third quarter, Kennedy Brooks had eight carries. And Eric Gray had seven. You want to know who else had eight carries? Spencer Rattler. How much sense mm-hmm. does that make? How much sense does that make? And they ran well, a lot of zone reads to him. That makes zero sense. Spencer Rattler ended up with uh, seven total yards on eight carries. That tells you right there that he wasn't gaining very much, even on the ones that they were designed runs. Why well, are they not the, trying to... The stat you cited, Brandon... 15 carries between those two lead backs midway That's through awful. the third quarter. That, That's awful. That points to one of two things. One, just offensive line. They don't trust the offensive line. Two, they're afraid because of the lack of depth at the running back position. And okay. they don't want to run those guys into the ground. I think it's a little bit of both. Either maybe. way, either way, at some point, that's just something you got to get over. You do. Like, you have to. You got to trust the offensive line. You got to trust what Bill Biedenbow has cobbled together there, whatever it looks like. And you have to trust that your two guys are going to be able to stay on the field and avoid the freak injury that everybody has become so concerned with regarding those two. Not just that you have Jeremiah Hall who has proven that he can run the ball and run it effectively. If you want to ground and pound somebody, put two seven back there and let him just charge into the line. And I think the other thing, and the people are like, well, the offensive line wasn't run blocking very well. They weren't allowed to get into a rhythm when you've only ran it 15 times through two and a half quarters. How much of a rhythm can the offensive line be in? How much of a rhythm can the running backs be in? You have got to give them. I mean, in the first quarter, they should have ran the ball eight times total. At least, at least just to get things going. You don't have to do that the whole game, but get in the mindset that you're going to be physical. That way the offensive line knows the whole game. They don't have to revert back to their physicality off and on, off and on, off and on. It's like, okay, we start out physical. We stay physical even on our pass blocking. You set that mindset and that mentality going from the kickoff the first snap you have the ball on to the end of the game, it, it, it may be a different outcome because you have set the tone at the front. And I think that's something that Riley missed on. I really do. I, I fully think that. And I think 
people want to say, well, you know, they they maybe don't trust the offensive line. Oh, give me a what a crock. And and you may think that, and I'm not saying you're wrong or that it's bull crap. I'm just saying, like, listen to you who you have on the offensive line. Think about it. Marquise Hayes is all Big 12. Tyrese Robinson has been all Big 12 since he's been in Norman. You have Anton Harrison, who was freshman All-American last year. You have Andrew Rain, who everybody says is every bit as good as Creed Humphrey was as a freshman. Now, granted, he didn't start, and that could have been a lot of the reason why they didn't run early. But Robert Congle started at A&M in Arizona. He knows how to play. What's the issue? Because you have Tyrese Robinson at right. Chris Walker was an all pack 12 guy before he transferred to you. And all you do is hear about how, how great he is. He's going to be an all American before he leaves. OU. he's going to be an NFL guy before he leaves. OU. you heard that. I heard that from somebody not a week ago. You have all these big mollies up there. Use them. And consider this. Spencer Rattler dropped back 45 times today. He got sacked once. One sack. That, that can't be that bad. And he wasn't running for his life. He had no. all the time in the world to throw. Eric Gray is a guy that needs double-digit carries every single game. The fact that he got nine carries today is a travesty. That is, that is, the, that is your first sign that something is amiss Correct. with the way yeah. that you're running the offense. Look, Kenny Brooks had 14, right? I think Kennedy Brooks needs he, I think he needs 15 to 20 carries every game. I think he's better than Eric Gray just off of what I saw today. I think Eric Gray's really good. I think Eric Gray's somebody that's probably going to return next year. Kennedy Brooks is probably going to go from I mean, Kenny Brooks is already talking like he's leaving. Like when he says, I wanted this is my last dance with though you, you know, all that stuff that he said. But mm-hmm. when you watch him, I mean, there's scouts sitting behind us in the press box and they're like, man, that Kennedy Brooks that guy's really good. Like the, he's just so shifty. And so uh, they, they, okay, try, they call him slippery and just kind of, that's the perfect word. Yeah. He was kind of slippery and stealthy. And I turned to one of them and I said, he's Emmett Smith. He reminds me so much of Emmett Smith. It's not even funny. He's not going to break 80, 90 yards on you, but he'll give you 50 or 60 before he gets caught. Just like Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith was always going to get caught from behind. He's going to give you those yards. He's going to set you up in a really good position and make you have to cover the run. You have to account for it. That's what Kennedy Brooks gives you, but you got to use him. They didn't use him till later in the game. And that was a travesty. I think that was awful. And I think you, that people want to say Rattler played bad. Well, he wasn't set up very well. Uh, You know, like it goes hand in hand. If you know, they're going to drop back to pass every play. What are you going to, you're going to cover the pass, right? It makes it harder Mm -hmm. to pass. So why not run the ball? I don't know. I mean, maybe the numbers, I have to go back and watch. Maybe the numbers in the box were conducive to pass it every time. I don't know. I'll Just, know. Parker, I, like, you go for it, Parker. Go for well, it. Well, seeing as how Lincoln Riley's offenses historically lean towards the run, it just doesn't make sense in a game like this against a group of five opponent in your season opener, a team that you should beat handily and a team that you have an individual advantage against at just about every single position on the field. It does not make a sense or it does not make sense to stray away from what has worked in the past from where you have found success. And so this was not the type of game where Oklahoma needed to be leaning heavily on the passing offense that that day may come, particularly in big 12 play. There may be mm-hmm. a game where Spencer Rattler needs to drop back and throw the ball 40 times. He didn't need to throw the ball 40 times today. He didn't need to. There was absolutely no, no reason why the Sooners should have leaned that heavily on the pass. That was, and, and you know, you, you didn't, you didn't sense it was a problem until the second half, right? Because the Sooners mm-hmm. put up 37 points by halftime. And he figured, okay, yeah. well, I mean, they're not doing anything flashy. Marvin Mims is ridiculous. Other than that, they're not doing anything flashy, but they're going to win the football game running away. And then, I mean, look, I'll call it like it is, Brandon. That second half was as bad uh, a second half of football as I have watched an Oklahoma team play under Lincoln Riley. It was bad. It was like you said, Iowa State and Army. I think it just uh, 
even TCU that same year in 2019. I think it's as bad as it gets. K-State, I mean, the, the fact that I can name that many off the top of my head where there's been that big a lapse need- and a half is not good. <laughs> I need to go back and research this. I think that might be the lowest scoring half they have had under Riley. Can you think offhand of another half where they have scored three points? Because I can't. The Iowa, the Iowa State game, they didn't score hardly at all. I can't remember what they did. They scored in 14 the, points in the third quarter and they didn't score in the fourth quarter. Okay. Okay. Then I stand corrected. What about TCU in 2019? TCU in 2019, I think uh-huh. they scored. I think they had 14 at halftime and 14 in the second half, if I remember correctly. Okay. Okay. But then I have never. Camp. No, I've just never. I've never seen an offense go so dead. Well, what was Iowa State last Oklahoma year? Football. What was Iowa State first game last year? That's another one they were way up on. Oh, K-State. K-State as well last year. Those were two really yeah. bad. Yeah, but even that, like. They scored points. They scored. They had touchdown scoring drives in the second half in each of those games. They couldn't manage that against Tulane today. So yeah, and are, you know the funny thing is, is like we're sitting here bashing it and talking about how bad they played. He still scored forty. <laughs> but, but that shows and you. They the needed, and they needed every single one of those forty oh, to win the football game. No, no, no doubt. Well, not, that's because they decided they were going to throw interceptions on a couple of those, uh, but. Look, we've we've we discussed all the negatives. I think I think let's talk about the good. Delarian Turner Yell, my homie, yeah. had ten tackles. Yeah, I was gonna say people people like to hate on the secondary because of that. So people were hating on the safeties because of that one long pass that Tulane had. The one long pass that they had the whole game. It was like, look, the safeties suck, and I'm like. Uh, we're not watching the same game I was watching because the safeties look pretty good up to that point, And they looked really good afterwards. I mean, Pat fields have made a couple of key plays. He batted he a did. ball down on the deep ball. He came up on one of their uh, stretch plays, uh, shot the, he, he shot, he came up in his lane, run lane, shot up in there and made the tackle behind the line. I mean, that stuff just doesn't happen. If you're a bad player, I'm sorry. Like Pat fields, isn't a bad player. Oh, you fans want to sit here and say this or that. Because he's not flashy and he doesn't, he doesn't, he's, he's just consistent, man. Pat Fields is consistent. Pat Fields looked good. Turner Yell looked good. You know who looked real yep. good? It was Billy Bowman. Hello. Yeah, he did. He should have had a couple interceptions, to be honest with you. Yeah, he should, definitely um, should have had one. Isaiah Thomas was a freak off the edge. Reggie oh, Grimes yeah, so, had a sack and a forced fumble. That's what I was getting at. I was trying to find, I just had the dang defensive stats and now I can't find Find it from life. So if you hear paper ruffling, that's me trying to find the defensive stats. And I'm having so much trouble. Dude, Brandon, throw, me out, throw me out a player. I can tell you what their defensive stats were. Um, Got them. I got them. I got them out. I got them. Okay. Out. Okay. We're good, people. We're good. So, yeah, defensively, I think when you talk about Okay, first off, offense. We've talked all the negative offensively, but Marvin Mims and Kennedy Brooks were badass today. I don't think I think that's the word. That's the best word I can say. They were badass because, and I, I say that in the most. And I guess that you can't really be journalistic when you call somebody badass, but <laughs> as much as I can be journalistic, like because when you watch Marvin Mims' performance, that in the first half was unbelievable. It really was. And he could have had another touchdown. The one that he bobbled, he's gone if he doesn't bobble that. On that dump pass where he's bobbling and trying to run with it and then finally catches it. Yeah, that bobble cost him him a touchdown. Yeah, it cost him a touchdown. And then finally, they 50 yards, he does a 50-yard pass later on. I mean, he would have had two touchdowns there. Um, And Kennedy Brooks, man, there was a couple of runs where I was just in awe of some of the things he did. I, I would say Eric Gray. When given the opportunity, and he kind of got a rhythm going in the first half a little bit, he was pretty good. He made that run down the sideline, I thought was pretty, where he was juking everybody and just tight, and it was in a tight space for those that you saw on television, live in person. It was very, very impressive Uh, down the home sideline. You remember that run where he's like juking, he stopped, and like the guy runs by him, like he he does like the, the, the jump back cut uh-huh. and, and going again. Yeah. I mean, 
and that was in a tight spot with people all around him. Um, I, I thought I thought those two played fairly well. Um, I thought Austin Stogner had a pretty good game. Now the botched onside kick isn't exactly what you want, and he was so mad at himself going off the field because it you saw he had it and it like slid right underneath his when he jumped on it, it slid right underneath his belly. And Lincoln Riley called it the watermelon play. You know, when somebody jumps on a watermelon and just slides up underneath them, that's mm-hmm. what it was. Um, and you brought up Delarian Turner Yell, DJ Graham had a pretty good game. Uh, you brought up Billy Bowman, who was fantastic. Isaiah Thomas. I don't think you can talk enough about Isaiah Thomas today. That was a performance. I mean, that dude was in the backfield. How many QB hurries? I wish they, how many QB hurries did he have? They didn't give him very many. He has one. Um, I thought maybe he had more than that. I felt like there was he more was, QB hurries than they gave. They only gave like three out the whole game. That doesn't he seem was right. beating his man with regularity. Let's just put it that way. He was arguably the most disruptive member of the Sooners defensive line today. And yep. Nick Benito had himself a game. He was well. pretty good. Yeah, Benito. Half a sack, had that fumble recovery, which was a beautiful play. Caleb Kelly. Well, let me tell you something. The, that that fumble recovery, the fact that he was there, I do. I don't think people realize how fast he was in the backfield because the ball was dropped and he was right there. It <laughs> so was that, that quarterback was getting ear hold no matter how you look at it. Oh, it was freakish how quickly that all happened because yeah. it probably took less than a second snap to recovery. No, it was. I he moved, moved so quickly. Up. Yeah, it was fast. He, I, I'm still trying to figure out where he was going with this, but I, I asked him in post game uh, during the media sessions to walk me through that play because I just basically told him, man, look, explain to me how you reacted so fast. And I don't know, Brandon, you'll, you're older than me, but he likened the entire situation there to a chef Boyardee commercial, which I just didn't have any frame of reference for. But so it's probably it was probably the ones with like the NFL guys how they were always like you know remember those like the the who no, I, I may be thinking something different. what is the soup that all the NFL players use like like oh the Campbells is it Cam okay so that's totally different the one I'm, that Donovan McNabb used to do I'm older than you but I don't know what that even is referencing to I probably didn't watch enough television to be honest with you um what what. What did you think of Perian Winfrey? Because I thought he was pretty solid. I think he still overruns things and gets out of I think he he gets in the backfield so fast he doesn't control himself at times and gets out of position a little bit. Well, absolutely. I think you know, when you're the athletic freak that Perion Winfrey is at the nose tackle position, that's you know, that's something that you're gonna run into from time to time because Quite frankly, he moves a lot faster and a lot smoother than most everybody else that plays that position. And so it is, I think for him, it's a matter of slowing things down a little bit and being more intentional about the way that he positions his body and the way that uh, he situates himself as the play develops uh, in order to be more of a disruptive force. And once he fully comes into his own, because I don't think he's there yet, but I think he's close who's going to block this Oklahoma defensive line. There's going to be nobody uh, Yeah, between Benito, Isaiah Thomas, Jalen Redmond had a nice day today as well. He did. He did. He had a fumble recovery. He was, uh, he had a, I feel like he had a sack or at least shared a sack. He had uh well, no, he shared a tackle for the loss, but shared a tackle for the loss. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. You got Josh Ellison there with half a sack. Danny Stutzman had a good game, by the way. Danny Stutzman did have a really good game, and it it was a lot better game than it showed in the box score because in the box score, Stutzman only has two tackles, one solo. But he he was in there on a lot of plays. Danny Stutzman probably should have been credited with a couple more tackles. What what do you think about... uh, Did you see Shane Winter at all today? Was it crazy? I don't know if I I saw him out there. I, I really only saw him on special teams. That was the only time I noticed him. Of course, I was watching the game through a camera lens, so I'm probably not the one to ask. But I noticed him out there on special teams, and that was pretty much it. So I think for the most part, 
the defense was it wasn't as bad as everybody wants to paint it up to be. Um, I think they were a little bit exhausted at the end of the game, but like you said, the fresh guys came in. Alex Grant said, "Screw it." At the end, and he just played his dudes out there like his top guys, and the and dudes think, came through, and they did. Um, I think you're going to see more of that as the season goes on, and that was something I wanted to ask, but the questions of the rotation was asked so many times. I wanted to ask Lincoln Riley, look, do you feel like you had to do the rotation, obviously, because of the heat, the safety of it all, wanting to take a look at these guys? Do you think that inhibited you guys from getting in a rhythm defensively and offensively at times? I wanted to ask that question, but he had been asked over and over about rotations. I'm probably going to wait till Tuesday to ask that because I really want to hear what he has to say about that after he watches the film because and he may take that as a slight. I don't know. And I'm not trying to ask that as a slight. I'm, I'm, I, I genuinely want to know like how much did all that rotating and feeling like you had to get these looks at these guys at the same time, trying to get some safety because of the heat, humidity, not one dudes to cramp or get injured. How much did that hurt you? Because there's guys out there that probably could have went, you know, another 10, 15 snaps that may have changed the whole complexion of the ball game offensively and defensively. I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm spitballing here. And another thing is, is what, what did you think of Mike Woods? He was, he was pretty good. Like I'm encouraged by what I saw from Mike Woods. I kind of figured they'd get him more involved yeah. than they did. I kind of figured he'd get, I think he had five targets, four catches. So um, I kind of imagined okay. a few more balls would get thrown his way, but with the balls that were thrown his way, six, six I liked targets. what I saw. Okay. Six targets. Yeah. I liked what I saw from Mike Woods. And I think it's pretty clear that Marvin Mims is the go-to guy in this pass offense because there's just <laughs> that dude's just a mismatch and he's a problem mm-hmm. not only is he exceptionally physically talented he's also exceptionally smart and plays the game with that revered intellect that really just you know for a guy that doesn't have elite size and doesn't have top end speed necessarily he's got mm-hmm. above average speed but doesn't have top end speed that's what you got to have to set yourself apart at the wide receiver position. You just got to play smarter than the defensive backs you're going up against. And Marvin Mims is always the smartest man on the football field. Every time he steps on it. Yeah. Mr. Stanford before he was going to Oklahoma. Um, that's right. Hey, uh, can we, uh, can we give a shout out to our boy, Gabe Burkich? That's what I was, that's what I was going into right now. Come he on. was about to do that. Yeah. I don't know why it took us this long to get in here. Speaking of positives. MVP. What holy crap. Three fifty yard, a 51, 55, and 56 yarder. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's you believable because we saw it, but that's crazy. Do you remember, Brandon, that at least in the late stages of the Mike Stoops era, when they got into no man's land like that, Stoops would never kick the field goal. He would always oh, keep yeah. his offense out there on fourth down. Mm-hmm. If it was going to be longer than 46, 47 yards, he was not sending the kicker out there. And now was, Oklahoma has a guy. guy. Well, it was Jimmy Stevens. That was Stevens. Michael that's Honeycutt. who it was. Steven. Yeah. Well, money, money cut was good. He would kick with him for a long time. His sophomore, it was his sophomore or junior year that money cut became not so good cut. <laughs> was he just couldn't make anything. Yeah. Well, it was his senior year that he had the meltdown against Kansas state where he yeah. missed the extra point. He missed the one field goal. And then he had the 19 yarder to win it and shanked it wide left. But no, the Sooners finally have a guy that they can unleash and feel confident in, not just from 35 yards, 40 yards out, but they can send him out for kicks. Well, in excess of 50 yards, you saw him hit from 55 and 56 today. He that 56 yard 70. Yeah. That 56 yarder was the longest field goal by a Sooner Brandon in 44 years. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, the guy, of course he did. He did miss the 31 yarder. He hit the three really hard ones and then he shanked the super easy one. So I don't know what you do with that, but he, 
he just set himself up as a leader for the Lou Groza award this year with that performance. I'd say today. so. Like nobody else is going to have a performance like that this year. You wouldn't think if they well, nobody, nobody in college football period had hit three field goals of 50 plus yards in a game in 15 years. That's just wild. That is wild stuff, man. Uh, the other thing I was, I wanted to talk about positively. I think this is a positive. You're watching Michael Turk boot the ball 80 yards in in the warmups. And then he doesn't even touch the field in the game. Like they didn't use him. No, he's one of the best punters in college football and he's not being used at all. I don't think Oklahoma is where you go. If you're a punter and you're wanting to show how good you are, just saying. <laughs> so the Sooners had eight scoring drives. Mm-hmm. They had the four field goals. They had the four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They had two drives end on interceptions. Mm-hmm. They had one drive and turn it over on downs. So they, so they did not punt today. Nope. That is, that is as good an offensive performance, obviously you would like to not have the turnovers, but save for the turnovers, you look at that chart, that's an incredibly efficient offensive performance. So are we, you know, yes, there are concerns, but I don't want people to walk away from this contest thinking that Oklahoma is in dire straits on the offensive side of the football. The turnovers have to stop. Spencer Rattler cannot put the ball in harm's way the way he did today. But on the whole, when you're looking at the complete picture, this Oklahoma offense is still a unit that if the defense is up to par, if they prove to be what we expect them to be, that's still an offense that's going to get you 40 points a game minimum. Absolutely. And, when you, and they will always do enough to win you a football game. Look, they always have. Yes. Look, I think in the end, I was sound like Bob Stoops right now. Well, in the end, I, I, end I don't know. I'm trying to. I, 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 end, end, I'm of trying to end of the day. Yeah, I can't do it anymore. I'm, when I'm when I'm on the spot, I can't do it. Um, but yeah, at the in the end, in the end, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of overreaction to this game. Oh, I think I I know I've seen. Oh, there already it. has been. My it's, gosh, it's, it's have you read our board? I I've stayed away from it actually. I post and I'm like out. Because I, I, yeah, right now is just not the time. You let them be fanatics, right? And then you, then you dwindle the idiotic comments afterwards. And I love you, VIP members. I really do. But you guys are emotional about things to the point that sometimes it's like when you get in a fight with your spouse, you say things you don't mean and you say it just out of spite because you're mad. That's what fans do when it comes to stuff like this. Like they're, they're pissed. And do they have a right to be pissed because of how lackadaisical that performance was at times? Absolutely. But to act like, OU isn't one of the top five teams of the country after that, get out of here with that bull crap. I mean, they're probably still one of the top two or three teams in the country when they were on and Riley said it. I don't know if you heard Lincoln Riley today and he was pissed. Number one. But he did come out and say, look, through all of that, he said, when we were good, we were damn good today. Like, damn good. He said it was unbelievable how good they were when they were on. Some of the best football. The problem is, didn't last very long. They got to stay on. They have to stay on. That was his thing. He goes, you can't. He goes, whatever it is, we got to fix that mentality where these kids think when they're up by 23 at halftime, the game's over. He said, maybe that's human nature, but even human nature, when you get kicked in the head or kicked in the face or the groin or whatever, you got to fight back. And we didn't, he said, we didn't do that in the, in the second half. We let them keep punching us and kicking us until our backs were up against the wall. And we're like, Oh crap. Now we got to come out swinging up against the ropes. That's essentially what he was saying. And they did. And they ended up winning doing so, but they're lucky they're that talented because had this been last year, they lose this ball game. Had this been 2019, they probably lose this ball game because they're not as talented as they are right now. This team is so talented, they can get away with this crap. I mean, I liken this to some of Barry Switzer's teams back in the 80s. The Euro, you won the national title. 
they beat Minnesota 12 to 7. Literally 12 to 7. OU is the number one team in the country. Unranked Minnesota comes in home and they win 12 to 7. They barely win another ball game and then they get everything going after a couple scares. They they get that ship right. Sometimes these teams, and I know this sounds weird, but some teams are so talented and so good, at times they get bored. And you could tell OU was bored. I mean, could you, Parker? They were bored during that third quarter. You could tell they were. No, I felt that. I very much felt that. They were bored because they knew they could do whatever they want whenever they wanted to. And that's not good because if they get that feeling and get somebody else and they allow that momentum to get going, they're not going to stop it. They may stop it, but it may be too late to the point where they can't come back from that momentum because sometimes you have to chip away at it and the momentum just doesn't flip for you and you have to continually chip away. So I, I, that's something they're going to have to learn and learn quickly. And hopefully if you're an OU fan, they learn this this week and you would rather it be week one against Tulane than any other point in the season, because now Oklahoma has 11 weeks to tell, show everybody just how good they are. And I think they will. I really genuinely think they will. I don't know. What do you think? How do you think the rest of the season pans out just from what we've seen in week one, because there's not a lot to go off of, but just your overall vibe, the overall vibe. Uh, I see. I really don't yeah. want to overreact one way or another. That's yeah, the see, thing. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. Look, the wheels are not going to fall off. Okay. Exactly. They never do. If they didn't fall off after an Owen two start in big 12 play last year, they're certainly not going to fall off this year, especially given the fact that for as much as for as much press as we have given all the negatives about this game, Oklahoma won. At the end of the day, they are one and O, which is really all that matters. Sure, they'll drop in the AP poll this week, but as long as you keep that zero in the loss column, you're not getting denied the college football playoff at the end of the season. So I am concerned. I think there are some legitimate valid concerns that arise from the game today. Mm-hmm. But I also don't believe that the wheels are going to fall off as some have suggested. Where, so I guess, let me ask this of you. What, where do you think Oklahoma is ranked? I think they're going to be third or fourth. Um, come probably third. I would guess come Tuesday, Monday, whenever they tomorrow, whenever they do it, um, probably third would be my guess. Uh, I think the winner of Clemson, Georgia's second. Is that fair? And probably rightfully. I so, think. Oh, I think without honest. a without a doubt, the winner of Clemson, Georgia, is rising to top two at this point. Yeah, and deservedly so. I think, regardless of what OU did today, they win by sixty. They still drop. I fully believe that. Like, there's nothing Oklahoma could have done this week with that and not drop. Is that is that is that something? Do you think that's fair? I think it is just because you know you get number three versus number five in week right. one. Mm-hmm. It's all like yeah, yeah. Either of those teams was going to jump Oklahoma after week one, regardless of what happened. So yes, I'm with you on that. And then what what was Nebraska? They, so they won. They beat Fordham. What was the score of their game? Anybody know? Anybody? I couldn't tell you. I just know they won. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. Nebraska won 52 to seven. So there there is some light shining down there in Lincoln. They're one and one. Let's see who they have next. Um, well, next week Buffalo. is Buffalo. So they should be two and one heading into Norman, riding high after two big victories, like blowout victories. And then I think I think. I think the Nebraska game is where Oklahoma, and this isn't an overreaction. This is what I've thought all along. I thought Nebraska is where, because I think that atmosphere is going to be just electric because it's not, oh, you Nebraska hasn't been done in a decade. So everybody's going to be hyped up about that. So I think the beginning of the game, and for the most part of that game, I think the OU fans are going to be so, so lit that I think OU pounces on them pretty good. That's just my initial reaction. And that's after what I watched 
today, and that's only because of the good portions that we saw today when OU was actually focused and amped up. They were really good. I mean, Riley talked about it. Like we were, he goes, we were really good whenever we were amped and focused. He said, but then mm. there were those times that you know, it was bad and really bad. And he said, we can't have those things. And obviously I said that earlier in the podcast, but I, 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 I'm leaning on the good right now because this team is so talented. It's hard for me not to go. Uh, they're probably more of the good than they are the bad. You know, like I, it's not me trying to overreact either way. It's more me saying, I I can't get myself to say, like, man, they just, there's a chance they could suck. Or there's I'm just a excited could, for all the takes that will come tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be bad. After, after Austin Kendall leads Louisiana Tech to an upset of Mississippi State here. Tanner Mordecai just threw a, his first touchdown pass of the season to Grant Calcaterra. I can't wait for all the takes. They're saying, oh, they should have kept Mordecai and Kendall on campus instead of this Rattler boy. Yeah, you get to do all that with the uh, your, your K-Ref show. And, yeah, if you all don't know, um, our man Parker has his own K-Ref show with uh, Mike Steely every day, 12 to noon on 94.7 K-Ref uh, in Oklahoma. There are now 100,000 watts, so you get to hear them. I mean, it's 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 a big station now, man. So you, he's he's got it going there with uh, him and the Steel Man. Call him uh, Mr. Worldwide. Call him Mr. Parker Worldwide instead of West Worldwide West Worldwide Parker. <laughs> he knows everybody. <laughs> if you need a contact, he's your guy. Um, no, for real though, it's a really good show. I listen to it every day. Um, but yeah. I, Good luck with all that. Good luck with all the cool. Uh, y'all don't take phone calls, do you? Uh, not generally, because yeah. I have to sit in there and produce as well. So if I'm taking a phone call, I have to mute my mic and Steely just has to talk until I can get the phone call set okay. up. So usually when we're going back and forth, it just makes more sense to. That's why, that's why we have the text line is so I can yeah. just sit there and read the texts. Those are going to be hilarious, by the way. Oh, um, no, no question. I guess finally do our offensive and defensive player of the game. Then you can, we can just do a MVP. Um, so for me, offensive player of the game, Marvin Mims, that's an easy one. Defensive player of the game, Isaiah Thomas. That's an easy one. MVP. Kay Burkish. Yeah. Come on. The kicker. Yeah. I'm with that's you on type that. Of day. That's the type of day it was, my friends. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. So, what do you, who do you have? It can be the same. It doesn't matter. Offensive, offensive MVP. I'm going to give it to Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, that's a good because one. Because I think without him, I, I don't know if they put that game away at the end, if I'm being honest. It was yeah. some big runs from Brooks that helped Oklahoma kill the clock down the stretch. So a lot of credit due to him, 14 carries, 87 yards and a touchdown. That's 6.2 yards per carry. So mm -hmm. uh, he's doing something right. And it's pretty clear that whatever rust he had, he's shaken off um, defense. Delarian Turner. Yell. Yeah. Been on that bandwagon since day one. And I will stay on it because that dude yeah. is all over the field. He is getting linebacker production from yep. the strong safety position. Um, that dude is one of the most underrated players, not just on Oklahoma's roster, but what, I believe what are you talking about game, safety so. stink at OU man. They're horrible. <laughs> yeah, clearly, but no. Yeah, and I agree a, you with have you. A red OU insider. <laughs> I agree with you. Gabe Burkich is the MVP today because without his leg, Oklahoma certainly does not walk out of this, does not walk out of Gaylord family, Oklahoma Memorial stadium today on the winning end. Yeah. They, they need to have like, that, that thing needs to be like dipped in like whatever makes it relaxes his muscles and, and keeps it fresh because uh, he's, he's got the golden foot right now, man, for sure. Um, look, uh, Oh, you plays Western Carolina next week. Uh, FCS program, obviously, but on top of that, it's a night kickoff, which is going to be pretty cool to get a night game, regardless of who it's against. Owen field at night is always a cool atmosphere. No matter, no matter who they're playing, because it just, it just has a different vibe because everybody's drunk. I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody's drunk. 
uh, as long as they haven't sweat out their alcohol. So they're a little bit more ruckus. And it's going to be the first time that Oklahoma has had a sellout crowd in Norman in over, what, two years? Since 2019. So uh-huh. TCU 2019. Big, it's a big deal. I think it's very cool. Um, it's a week leading up to the Nebraska game. And to add more to the Western Carolina game, it's arguably the biggest recruiting weekend outside of maybe TCU. And I'm trying to think of another one that could be big for Iowa state. Those are going to be huge weekends as well. Um, Nebraska have, will have, it'll be big, but Western Carolina being a night game, you're going to have some big time players on campus and recruits commits in the 2022, 2023 and 2024 classes. Um, we'll talk about that. We're, we've been talking about that on OU Insider. We're going to continue to talk about that on OU Insider. We'll hint about some of that stuff on the next podcast as well. Uh, but if you're not on OU Insider, we're doing that 50% off at the, it's at like, I think 9.30 p.m. It ends on Labor Day this Monday. So you want to get on top of that, man. 53 bucks gets you a whole year. I mean, you get all the inside access to all the insider notes that we talk about. There's so much, there's so much game stuff that's already up that you guys have no idea about if you're not members. Um, inside stuff, we've got team notes that I dropped before. Friday before this morning, I dropped inside team notes. We dropped insider notes on the game during the warmups, the stuff that we noticed that just a normal fan can't see. And we put it out there for you guys to know. Um, we get recruiting notes every day. Parker went and saw Gentry Williams and Micah Tease and David Stone this past week. I was at uh, Jacoby Jackson and went and saw Andre Dollar, the 2022 uh, tight end that's going to Oregon. He's one of the top players in OK Preps. Uh, last week, saw Relique Brown. He was up in North Car- or Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, seeing a bunch of four stars in the 2022 and 2023 classes. Uh, Colin's got a bunch of stuff from all over Texas. I'm going out to Florida and California and D.C. Uh, Parker will be all over the place as well. We're going to have stuff from recruiting all over the United States. We're going to have insider notes. We've got source notes on stuff that's going to be going on. I mean, you're talking about team stuff. You're going to know stuff way before everybody knew Andrew Rame stuff on OU Insider long before anybody else had it up several days. So um, we try to stay on top of that and help you guys. I mean, Parker's fantastic. I mean, he told everybody what the, the jerseys everybody was going to be wearing and nobody knew that except for OU Insider members is People want to say maybe that's a meaningful note, but that's 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 insider information that you won't get anywhere else days before that stuff gets out. So uh, we just challenge you guys to join the thousands and thousands. I mean, literally, we have thousands and thousands of VIP members. I mean, our board is busy, busy, busy. I think we had close to 10 million page views this past month. And the month before, we had almost 11 million uh, in July, which is unheard of in July. So uh, we're busy. And we hope you guys join us. Got a really cool uh, community that's going on there. You talk OU football 24-7. Parker has his mailbag for his VIP, for our VIP members each and every week. Pre-game and post-game mailbag, mind you. I got the chat that I go on all week. You ask questions, I answer in the chat all week long. Plus all the VIP content, the video, uh, the interviews, everything. Whether it's recruiting, team notes, you get it. OU Insider. Before anybody else, you will know it on the VIP and you'll know things that nobody else outside the VIP members know. And that's the way we like it because we like for y'all to be informed and know what's going on with your favorite OU football program. Plus you get all 250 uh, 247 sites. You can go spy on Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, Kansas State, uh, TCU. It doesn't matter whoever it is, West Virginia, Nebraska, you can go there. You can read what's going on with them. If they're in on a recruit, you can know what their board's saying versus our board. I mean, it's just a great thing. Only $50, and that's only till 9.30 p.m. on Monday. So if you do want to sign up, OUinsider.com VIP, we would love to have you. Or $1 for the first month, then $9.95 after if you just want to give us a try. Parker, you got anything? 
And Brandon, I think you said it all. There's a ton going on. There will continue to be a ton going on throughout the fall. We are keeping you guys up to date on everything Sooners, both on the recruiting trail and as it pertains to the team. And as basketball season rolls in, Mm -hmm. we will have wall-to-wall coverage of that as well. So believe me, the VIP subscription is worth the investment if you're not already a member. So head there, sign up, and join the family. Tell us when you sign up too. We'd love to come and uh, thank you guys. Actually, we have a we have a drawing at the end of every month too. Uh, one of our members just won a hundred dollar gift card on Amazon. Uh, we're going to try to give away some uh, Jordan ones uh, this this year. Uh, two free tickets later on in the year as well to one of the OU home games. Uh, basically, it's your if you're a VIP member when we put it up there. If you're one of the first thirty people to comment on that thread. Uh, you enter that drawing and then I draw later on today and announce the winner and they get to choose what they want, whether they want a gift card on Amazon, fans, fanatics, uh, or they want to extend their VIP membership an extra year. Uh, then there will be one later on in the year where I give, we give away Jordan wants, and then there'll be one later on in the year where we give away, uh, two free tickets. So to OU home game. So, uh, we try to thank you guys as much as we can for being, being VIP members, but we also enjoy you guys listening to the podcast. So I want to thank you guys for that as well. Uh, that's going to do it for me, Brandon Drum. This is Par- here with Parker Thune. Uh, this is the OU Insider Under the Visors uh, Sooners post-game podcast. Thank you all for listening. Y'all have a blessed day.